part of BlindsidePods.com. Hey, Mark Moroso Jr. here. Calling to check in. Uh, got a little extra free time on my hands now that Mr. Hill has gone on to bigger and better things at EEI. And, um, you know, word on the street is that Mr. Blind Mike can't really find his way to work. And I thought I'd be a nice guy and uh, maybe I could give him a ride. We could talk shop, talk Kirk, talk Albanian puss rubbing, all our favorites. Anyways, look forward to hearing from you, Blind Mike. Giddy up! Thank you, Troll Socks, for sparing us from that. He who shall not be named, having to drive Blind Mike into work. Hey, it's DEC here. No MHB. It's a vacation week, so we're going to do something different this week. We're going to look back at the first 40 episodes of the Menafan Show, something that started out as uh, like Steve from Providence and Kevin from Bristol and fans getting together into something much different. Guests, an important show, things that got a lot better from when we started. So I wanted to take this opportunity to do my favorite moments of the first 40 episodes. We're going to remember Paul Chartier's contribution, Steve versus Blind Mike, even Kirk Minahan's appearance. And the first thing that we're going to go over is our episode with John Featherston, really our first big guest, and it happened at episode six. If you have not heard it, we talked a lot about the activist, and it was our first episode that got really huge numbers. So I hope you enjoy this one. This is the best of John Featherston on DEC's favorites. Didn't he continue to call? Didn't he t- talk for several hours with with uh, with state with the station? Didn't he continue to call behind the scenes even after that? Even after the station manager had told him that you know he had reached an agreement that hey, listen, we're going to take John and all politics is local off the air. Which hey, listen, WCRN was very very good to me. I understand what they were doing. I understand, you know, and we will come back one day in a different form, bigger and better. I I am thoroughly convinced of that. You know, even after that, he continued to call station management and say, you know, hey, you know, this isn't right. You know, Featherston still has has stuff up on Twitter because, you know, once once we posted some of your audio up on Twitter, he's taken offense to that. I did a long uh, segment. in the middle of a summer about the uh, EEI telethon and about how, in my opinion, that Lung and uh, him were working against the Jimmy Fund, and I was very supportive of Jerry Callahan and his efforts of writing in the Pan Mass Challenge. Uh, he took great exception to that, and I think he's still upset to this day that it's still somewhere up on the Internet or up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, But that's you know. your own Twitter. That's your own Twitter page. What does that have to do with WCRN? And at that point, you're not with them anymore. Correct. So Correct. what does that have to do with anything? Well, it goes beyond that, though, because he's he, just angry at the world. I mean, he is, you know, for whatever issues that he's dealing with. And, hey, you know, as you so eloquently said earlier, John, is, you know, we all feel for him. You know, he's got an issue that he's, you know, sensitive about. I'm sens- I'm a parent, too. I'm sensitive about, you know, anything, anything that affects the child. But this isn't about his kid anymore. This is about, you know, just ruining people's lives. Yeah, I, the, regardless of whether or not the intention itself was was good to begin with, that that's a topic for another day. You know, I honestly, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to get into the issue. Um, to me, I, you know, I'd rather just support folks like that, folks in the trans community. That's all fine. Do whatever you 
want. That's fine by me. The issue for me comes down to the abuse of power and the ability of power and money and financial resources to silence opinions through coercion, through manipulation of media with hit pieces, to basically just mitigate and silence any voice and any opinion that you don't like. And to me, that is un-American. Now, he said when Kirk went on the radio with, uh, was it Sue O'Connell, where he went on the radio or on the uh, on, on TV and did an interview with her, um, when the activist sent in a, a letter to Sue, uh, he said that he was simply exercising his First Amendment right. So, I mean, that was a nice move by him, I guess, just to, to kind of turn it on his head where we're saying this is a violation of the First Amendment. He's saying, no, I'm just using my First Amendment right. I get that. I get that. But at the, at the end of the day, you know that that your ability and your your power and your resources has the, has the ability to persuade people and manipulate people, right? It's one thing to be honest. It's another thing to take clips out of context and to frame things in a way that you know that you're manipulating people's agendas and people's fears, especially in a 2018, 2019 politically charged and politically correct environment, that you know the right buttons to hit and, and the right buttons to push, that you're going to get people to run and cower and be and, and, and completely withdraw support. And that's what happened to you guys. Um, one thing, what, what, how did this affect uh, John Kerwin? I don't know. I, obviously, we, we could maybe have him on, and if you don't want to talk on his behalf, that's fine. But I was wondering if you could give us his kind of take on all this. Not only did the activist call the station, the activist took it upon himself to call John Kerwin's Monday through Friday regular employer. Wow. And so John, and he can come on and talk about it himself a little bit, or maybe he can't, or probably shouldn't but he was called into the you know human resource office wow. and like who is this activist why are you saying things about him and you know is typical with all of this this guy you know frames himself as you know a respectable figure and the human resource only hears one side of it and says oh my gosh how can this be how can this be and then you know Kerwin gets pulled into the office and he has to you know discuss it and I think, you know, based on investigation, they did, you know, kudos to his employer for doing a fair and balanced uh, investigation. They kind of kind of pieced back together and said, hey, put everything together and said, hey, listen, don't go on the radio and talk about this guy anymore, you, but you can still keep your job. But he tried to get him fired, much as he's, as he's tried to get me fired from my regular job, job as well. I've been a big fan for a long time of Bill Buchanan, who's also known as Mike Zahn. He's the guy who does the YouTube videos sporadically that skewers Francesa. He sounds just like him. The stuff that he does really captures Mike Francesa. And as a lark, I just went onto Twitter and decided, hey, you want to come on? And he said yes. And at the time, we had really no business getting this guy to come on our show, but he was kind enough to do it. Here's a snippet of our episode with Mike Zahn, on DEC's favorites. Hey, Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts real quick on uh, on the Kirk Minahan situation uh, over there at Boston at WEI. I wanted to see if you thought, if, if you knew anything about what was going on behind the scenes uh, with the Red Sox keeping him off the air, um, and, uh, and, and, and with him going to Radio.com, uh, did, did you know anything about that? Did you do anything behind the scenes for, for the guy? Uh, and what would your advice be to somebody like him uh, uh... trying to get back into radio? Uh, all right. Uh, yeah. So you know, now you guys know. I like I told you, I, I know a lot of people in Boston, so I knew everything that was going on there. Uh, I am an Anacom partner, so I'm very in the loop. I have this information. Uh, I am privy to it. 
Mr. Field personally called me regarding the issue. I said, David, you, you do not fire this man. This man is the Charles Haley of radio. <laughs> Another good friend of mine. Uh, I kept quiet about it because I didn't want I didn't want the praise. But uh, I told David, I said, listen, I'm sure radio.com, nice website. But, uh, you know, Minahan, he needs an app. You can't expect people to bring their computers in the car to go to a website. He needs an app. That's a good point. <clears throat> listen, listen. And this is what these guys don't understand. Apps are the future. What would you do then? What would your advice be to him? He should not do the app? Because you're right. I mean, radio.com, I got to go, got to go bring my computer, go to a URL. He, what he needs to do, okay, he needs to start his own app. He needs to get get rid of any affiliation he has, start his own app, uh, give away the content for free on the radio, but charge money for it on the app. It's a, it, it, now, it might sound a little, uh, con, you know, I might contradict myself here, but listen, it works. Trust me. Well, let me let me ask you this question. If, if, if I can get the content from Kirk for free, so I'll be, I'll be Kirk here. <laughs> Explain to me how that works. I, I'm giving my content away for free. Why is somebody going to pay for it? Because why would you want it for free when you can go on the app <laughs> and you can pay a subscription and then you get the perk of being on an app? Okay. Okay. Uh, you got that? So it's really a status thing. I, I, oh, I, I mean, listen now. I, I, you know, I don't know all the technical stuff about it. Okay, I have I pay guys to do that stuff. But listen, uh, it's a big successful. I mean, do you get any extra videos on the app? Like, would Kirk, you know, do like yes. selfies on the? Enor- yeah, enormous amount of content. You can get past, You can put past videos up on there. Mm. Uh, you could record yourself talking about live events. It, it, it is instantaneous. You can do it at any time. Mm. Okay. I like that. So I got another, that's a good call. I got another uh, question Thanks for, for you. Call. So there's been a lot of criticism of the new morning show, WEEI, Mutton Callahan. <laughs> now, Jerry right. Callahan, don't know if you know him. He's been there over uh, 20 years. Yeah, he was at SI. Uh, he worked yes. at the Herald. Do you think Jerry can lead them through this tough period? What Endicom is wondering right now is, can Jerry be Jerry? Because when you have Jerry backed up by Zambrano, backed up by Mark Hannon, backed up by David Field, you have a pretty good chance. Can Jerry be Jerry? And right now, Intercom doesn't think Jerry can be Jerry right now. But, but you know what? Because right now, they're leaning towards Mark James leading the charge in the morning drive. But <laughs> can Jerry be Jerry? Because when Jerry's Jerry, he's Don Imus. Don Imus. And Don Imus started my career. Well, I got another call here. Uh, this is another one. I think this is a good question for you. I carved out this time for you guys because I love the three of you. Do I have lunch first at the club and then hit balls? Or do I hit balls and then have lunch? So that's John in Sarasota. He's got that question. Okay, John. Here's what you do. You do both at the same time. (laughs) I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't eat lunch and hit balls and be on an app. Or you could have your own app. Stream yourself hitting balls and eating lunch. And then you're creating content. You're actually making you, money. Exactly. I am a content creator. I've been a content creator for over 30 years. And that's the type of content that brings in the big bucks. Mm. I mean, that's why I'm so rich. Oh, yeah. Hi. I was just wondering, who do you think is a better manager? Joe Torrey or uh, Bobby Heenan? I'm just wondering what you think. All right. Uh, you see, now you got a guy on here. I mean, this isn't even my radio show. You, you got fools calling up, talking about stuff like that. I mean, who, the, the, who's Bobby Hinn? Is that the guy from the wrestling? 
Yeah, he was a wrestler. He was a wrestling manager. He just passed right, away about a year ago. I mean, I don't, listen, I don't watch that stuff. I mean, that stuff's just silly to me. I mean, why would you go out there and pretend to fight some guy? I mean, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, listen, you know what? You know, if guys want to do that stuff, that's fine. But you know what? I, I just find it a little silly. That's all. Are you not, you're not appreciative of, of, of those trolls calling in, right? You're not, you don't like that? Uh, no. I, you know what? I, I find it to just be a waste of time. Uh, you're wasting all the people that want to watch my show and hear my content. Mm. Uh, you're wasting their time, too. I mean, it's, it's very disruptive. All right, so I... I, uh, I it doesn't did, get on the air, though. I mean, so it doesn't really matter. I, I did find something else. You, you did talk about horsing. I know you like horses. I know you like Saratoga. I know you like gambling, so I think this will be a good question. Hey, Mike. What do you think about uh, Mutt at WEI in Boston? He's the first, I believe, first monkey uh, to be hosting a radio show full-time, the first primate. You think that's something that could have a future in radio? Is this a new trend? Or you just see this as something that is just going to be a flash in the pan and die out? Also, what is your opinion on him throwing feces at Jerry Callahan in the studio uh, on a regular yeah, okay. basis? Well, you got to cut that guy off. I mean, I don't know what he's talking about. But listen, if he's talking about the guy, I mean, I again, I'm not too familiar with the situation over there. But you know what? Uh, this guy is actually, you know, a primate. Is that is that what he's talking about? Yes. He's actually a primate. He's, he's, now, well, listen, it's a, he's, a, he's a monkey in in the studio. Okay, okay. I mean, if the guy, uh, listen, if you don't have, if you're if you're the co-host and you have an actual gorilla <laughs> next to you. Are you going to be worried about the co-host? Yeah. But, you know, the way people are today, they're going to probably be worried about the gorilla, <laughs> which is ridiculous, by the way. I think that's what, – what's wrong with you people? I mean, come on now. You're worried about a gorilla. But what about the health of the gorilla? What about – I mean – Oh, who cares about the gorilla? Come on now. I mean, listen, does the gorilla have an app? Well, what if – I mean, people were getting upset because the, the gorilla was is dragging them around uh, – dragging them down. Do you think the gorilla is dragging them down in the ratings? Listen, if I was on the air and there was a gorilla – in my studio. Listen, I, I said I don't like wrestling, but I would powerbomb through the table. <laughs> That's what I would do. Back early on in the podcast, we had just joined up with Blind Mike and his podcast network. It was Mike, and if you remember, Ryan James did a podcast called On Tap. And Ryan still does it, but he had to leave the network because of other concerns, some things that actually tripped up Blind Mike as well at his job. And around this time, Mike was doing his podcast all by himself before MHB joined up with him. And when you do a podcast by yourself or any type of radio, it's hard because you're trying to connect with an audience. You're trying to see yourself talking to somebody in a car or listening on smart speakers or, or however you're doing it. But you're really talking to yourself in a room. And Mike was not as engaged he had Rich Keefe on, and he really came alive there. But Steve really took him to task, felt that he was weighing the Menafan show down. He felt that Mike was glomming on to us. And Steve, in the mistake of coming on this episode, blasted out of his mind. And Mike really took him down piece by piece. And I would say this is the part where Mike really came alive. And he kind of became the Mike that we know on Kirk's show. This was a turning point for Mike. Really kicked Steve's ass. And you may not have heard this episode because it didn't get a lot of downloads, but it amused the hell out of me. So I hope you enjoy some snippets here where, where Blind Mike really just takes out Steve from Providence. It's one of my favorite episodes, DEC's favorites on the Menafan Show. This is the plaintiff, Steve from Providence. <laughs> Steve claims trash talk and on tap are just riding the coattails of the Menafan Show. 
He also believes On Tap is geared towards men who watch kids at recess when they are childless. He's suing for crimes against humanity. This is the defendant, Blind Mike. He says he was minding his own business when drunk Eric Curtis was soliciting help for his yet unpublished podcast. He also states, though, on tap is not for everyone. He won't silence others' rights to speak. Plus, Ryan is also paying for the website. He's accused of bad podcasting and laziness. <laughs> What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors, though we are sick of the way they're acting. They're actual <laughs> lunatics with meds pending at a New England CVS. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their dignity and have their disputes settled here. In our forum, the Metafan Show. We have Steve back though, right? <laughs> yes, we are good. I'm just uh, right now finishing my Blue Moon White Belgian and watching the uh, SpongeBob movie. <laughs> Wholesome entertainment. Is he gonna sip? Wait, there we go. <sighs> so, do you guys want to hash it out? So, my problem, Mike, is this. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming to you as as a friend. If I wasn't a friend, I would just completely just go out on Twitter. Well, let's not do that. We don't know each other, Steve. We are, we're not. Well, friends. no, I'm not your buddy. I'm not like. I've never met you in my life. I, I've, I'm not like when Mark's on your podcast, I haven't had your, uh, when John's been on your podcast, I haven't had my, your taint in my mouth. So no, I'm not your pal. I'm not your actual buddy, but I am a fan and I do want to see you succeed. Well, that's, so, Steve, that's my only issue, issue with you. Is, so now you're admitting you're a fan, which I, that's the only part I didn't get. And you can go to the messages I sent you where, that you complained that I was sending you messages, but I was saying... Why are you attacking me specifically? Any any criticisms of any show, my show, uh, the other shows on the network? I don't give a fuck. But why are you saying I'm this thin-skinned pussy all of a sudden and saying that I'm, I, I'm someone no one should work with and these people shouldn't associate with me? I don't get where you're coming from that you're attacking me as a guy. Well, first off, I did not say that no one should work with you. you yes, you did. You said they, you said they shouldn't associate with me that I'm a thin-skinned pussy and I'm, I'm a no-talent that John was on my podcast <laughs> carrying me. Are you going to say you didn't uh, say that? Uh, I'm saying that you're inserting words that I didn't say. But if I could get to my point, then maybe if you could just shut your pie hole Go for ahead. a second, then maybe we could get to it. <laughs> so basically, uh, I want to know why. Uh, how much, first off, before we get to anywhere, how much does it cost that you're, you gave the excuse that you gave that guy a podcast because he splits the cost? So how much are we talking? Are we Square talking space, that maybe... We do it through Squarespace, and we wanted the highest, <laughs> the, uh, highest amount. And that's not an excuse. That's just what happened. And I'll, I'll go through the whole story. The, uh, the day I lost my uh, Trash Talk podcast with WEI, my buddy Ryan reached out to me and said, what if we just started our own thing where we put our podcast on the website, maybe look for some others like locally that we think are doing a good job and uh, go from there. And I said, okay, that'd be so awesome. How much is it and I don't, I don't have any fucking cost? money. Let me talk if you want to hear the fucking story. I don't have any fucking money. So I said, all right, that'd be great. And he said, I'm, you know, let's split the costs of uh, Squarespace. It's only a couple hundred bucks, but it's like, you know, I don't make any fucking money. So it's I need to, I need to eat to food. So it'd be nice to, it it'd be nice to split the cost of that. And fucking, are you guys hearing that? For the mic to pick up. 
on like the camera. Oh, okay. Pops very nicely, <laughs> to be fair, you don't need to. You don't need to eat food right now, though, Mike. To be fair, because I think you're on the. T- no, the, I don't. The, yeah. The weight now list. I'm saving money, baby. That's right. At the time, I needed to eat a lot, so my budget there wasn't enough budget for Squarespace. It was all going to uh, pizza and subs. <laughs> now I've got plenty of money because I'm drinking liquids all day. But uh, no, so I had a friend who reached out to me in a time where I was doing pretty shitty. Because something I loved was taken away from me. Literally, they wiped it from the face of the planet that day. They did. So I was, I was pretty fucking bummed about it. Uh, a friend reached out to me and said he wanted to do something. And I said, absolutely. Now, I even promoted it as there are going to be shows on this network. Some that I like and bring in and that are more like my show. And that's, I, I think, the Minifan show is kind of an example of that. And Ryan is a totally different guy. And maybe he'll have some, bring in some shows. And... The audience of my show probably won't like it. I don't know how many times I said that, that they probably won't like it. So I'm not a scumbag that is going out and trying to trick you into listening to bad radio. I forewarned you, you probably won't like it. And I was very honest on my show last week. I had my criticisms of the show. I've had my criticism to his face. But if you want, me to, t- if you want to tell me mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to uh, throw my, tell my friend he can't do a podcast when he's contributing to half the network when it doesn't cost me anything to have him on there. It doesn't cost me anything. It cost me anything to have him on there. Um, and he reached out to me in a time where I was pretty fucking down. If you wanted to say, ah, fuck that guy because Steve from Providence doesn't <laughs> like him, I'm just not going to do that. All right. Uh, first off, calm down. Go check your blood sugar. I know you're a little overweight. So <laughs> for now, so you, for now. So basically, so basically, you're telling me the cost of your website is basically the same cost that I donate to feed a kid from Calcutta. This way, I know he's getting two meals a day. Correct? I <laughs> I don't know what your charitable <laughs> ventures are, but yeah. Okay. But that's not that's not the point I'm making, Steve. It's okay, that I'm well, doing it with a guy who was. Pretty fucking loyal to me. And if I were okay. starting a real network that had advertising and backing behind it, I would only have shows that I 100% want on there. But if he wants to go out and find uh, his audience and he wants to do that on our website, I have no issue with that. And if the Minifans thought that they were being brought down by that, then they didn't have to sign up. I didn't hold a fucking gun to their head. They chose to come on board. Real interesting story. On this next segment, this is where MHB was at his best just trolling and playing mind games with people on Twitter to get him to do what he wanted them to do and to dance. And his latest victim was John Ziegler. He went after Ziegler around the time that the Michael Jackson documentary came out and kind of pissed him off to the point where Ziegler demanded to come on the show. And he came on the show in... It was just kind of a screaming match. We took a deliberate approach of being calm, being polite. I can't even imagine what it was like in Ziegler's house because at Ziegler's house, he's like screaming and yelling and every other word is he's calling us dopes and morons and idiots. It's where all of my favorite drops come from. And you'll hear some of those drops here where if you don't know John Ziegler, he is saying that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. And we figured out his technique, which is to say, I thought Sandusky was guilty, but the more I looked into it, the more I found he was not guilty and it wasn't even close. And I don't even like Sandusky and I don't like Dottie Sandusky. And here are all these generalities of why everybody else was wrong. And in a two hour period of time, we just kind of ripped them apart. 
doing this, I had planned to play all of the Sandusky clips in here to kind of piss them off when it was getting out of control. But we kind of kind of just threw a, a mulligan or, or we, we winged it on this and decided, how long can we keep this guy on? And we kept him on for like two and a half hours of him just screaming and screaming. I feel like we won the argument here. And here are some of the best clips of John Ziegler on the Metafan Show. Let's go to Joe Paterno then. What, did, what about Joe Paterno's testimony? Can you tell me what Joe Paterno said at trial? Yep. Well, uh, no, though Joe Paterno was dead. So there was no Joe what, Paterno What he said trial. in his testimony. What he said in his testimony when he yeah. testified. What did Joe Paterno say? It, he, he referred to it as, as possibly sexual in nature. Yep. Yep, he did. He yep. said that McQuarrie called him on Saturday morning, could remember the year. Yep. McQuarrie told him he'd seen Sandusky fondling a young boy in the showers. It was sexual in nature. I'm not sure exactly what it was. I didn't push Mike. That's okay. an exact quote from and, Paterno. And, and, and you know um, how many years after the event that uh, quotation was given by Joe Paterno? How many years? I'm, not, I'm assuming at least 10 years after the event. It was 10 years. And you know how old Joe Paterno was at that time? Uh, you have to refresh my memory. Uh, he, was eight, he, he, was, he was he was he was he was eighty four years old, and a month before that testimony, you can look it up online. He tried to give an interview to a radio station before the Outback Bowl that was so horrendous that he it went viral because he had no idea what was being asked. He couldn't respond. He it was it was obvious that his medical condition was such that anything that came out of his mouth was not to be trusted. Here's a much more logical scenario for what really happened with Joe. But but you saying you're saying that the dementia argument doesn't work when I make it, but it works when you make no, it? No, moron. I'm telling you that the prosecution interviewed Joe Paterno. He didn't have dementia. He didn't. He, his memory wasn't good, and he had no idea what Mike McQuarrie told him 10 years earlier in a meeting that his own wife has now said in an I email. Know, three minutes, three minutes. It was a, three, know, it was a three minute meeting 10 years earlier. Here's do you what, not think, do you think that maybe, we, maybe there's a reason she would lie? I don't know, lie about oh that? My because God. her life has been ruined by it? Uh, you're such a moron. You don't know Sue Paterno. You don't know her incentives in this situation she has absolutely no incentive because her family is invested as more so than anybody in jerry sandusky's guilt she's just telling the truth because she doesn't understand why mike mcquery keeps making up new stories about that meeting that she was there that day she was the only person that was there that day so i would think and it's the only only person other than mike mcquery who's still alive so but let me give you a scenario that makes a hell of a lot more fucking sense than you morons here's the scenario that actually happened all right. So what really occurred was this. Mike McQuarrie sees something for three seconds on December 29, 2000. He, he uh, goes to his dad and Dr. Dranoff, who, work, who dad, his dad works for that night or somewhere around that night. We don't know for sure. And they suggest that he goes to Joe Paterno. I think he chickens out, and I believe he waits six weeks, the facts show, and we have a voluminous record, including Dranoff's own testimony, to show that this is the scenario that makes a hell of a lot more sense. He waits six weeks before he goes to see Joe Paterno for this three-minute meeting, and the reason why he goes to see Joe Paterno is because something interesting happens on the day before. He goes to see Joe Paterno on the Saturday morning of February 10th, 2001. On the morning before, or maybe the afternoon prior to that, February 8th or the morning of February 9th, Mike finds that... He was sexting somebody, yeah. No, moron. He, he finds out that there's an open job at Penn State, that Kenny Jackson has left the wide receiver's coaching job to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. As a graduate assistant, a lowly graduate assistant who gets basically no money, he's the last on the totem pole, no job security, he desperately wants a job. He's going to Joe Paterno, just as he himself inadvertently implied in his testimony where he says he calls Joe Paterno that Saturday morning and Joe supposedly says to him, if this is about a job, don't bother coming over, I don't have one for you. 
Sue Paterno, who was there that day, vehemently denies. Oh, yeah, and she would have no that. reason to lie, And John. I, I believe it's a lie because Mike McQuarrie is subconsciously covering up the real reason why he went over there. He went over there just coincidentally the day after the Kenny Jackson job opens up because he's trying to get FaceTime with Joe Paterno. I'm sure he, uh, here's my guess, is what happened is this. He made, it was very clear that Joe, who was getting ready to go to an event in Pittsburgh that night where he was being honored, was not giving him any warm fuzzies about the job. And so Mike immediately transitioned to, oh, uh, coach, I, I need to tell you, I saw Jerry Sandusky in a shower with a boy. It was, it made me uncomfortable. And I think someone ought to know about it. This is his face-saving backup plan. And that's when he then goes to Gary Schultz and Tim Curley. And now he's invested in a story he can't get out of because it's far more serious, being taken far more seriously by Penn State than Mike ever imagined. Man, were we excited when Dave Cullinane was hired as Kirk's producer on his Radio.com show. Because one, it showed that the Radio.com show was actually going to happen when, stupidly, we didn't realize this. It was never going to happen. And two, we made a connection with somebody who was already a fan. He was going to have an in to Kirk. And then he got fired two days later. What could have been here? So here is our interview with Dave Cullinane, who got himself fired and yet is the first person, I think, in history to get himself fired the way he did and still stick around. Dave Cullinane on the Minifan Show. We are introducing you to Dave Cullinane, who is the new producer for Kirk Menahan. Dave, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing good, man. Uh, and and I have to admit, I'm glad that I booked you so quickly. But I can't say that I scooped this. That that dummy, Mark Moroso. Uh, you know, after he he blew the news on uh, trash talk, I just had to come out and had to had to grab you. So I'm glad that you agreed to come on in such short notice. He is the biggest rat in talk radio, apparently. That Mark Moroso, who fortunately I learned his name from his last name from you, just like he learned my last name from. Actually, who did he learn my last name from? He didn't even know my last name on on Blind Mike's podcast. Yeah, he thought it was Cullen, and and I uh, I, I think that I, I you just had popped up in my search feed, and I saw that we had talked in the past, and I was like, oh, this guy, this guy looks like like he'd fit the part, and and then I uh, I confirmed with Mark afterwards. So, um, but we have uh, Dave Cullinane, the producer for the now. I want to ask you this real quick. So we've got enough about me, obviously. Kirk talked about a daily podcast. Can you give it like, is he going to do a podcast every day until the live show starts? Can you give yes. us a little insight on that? Maybe before yes. we even jump into some questions. Yeah. So I can't, I can't dive too deep. So I start on Wednesday. When is this podcast being released? It's going to be tomorrow. Is it, Monday is it tomorrow, Monday? So we're doing this on Sunday and I start on Wednesday. So even though, what, what has it been? He did a full week of podcast last week, right? Yeah. So he's done a full week. Uh, we were just talking off air. I booked one of those guests for him just through this process, but we haven't had that many reps together, whether by phone, by text, whatever. So we we start gung ho on Wednesday. That's when kind of a, it's all systems go. Now, I guess my question is: Are we looking at a different, complete podcast? Like, is enough about me going away, and then we're going to get a, a Kirk Minahan podcast, uh, or are we talking about continuing enough about me on a smaller scale, and then a daily podcast in addition? I guess I, I'm sure you can't go into all that. Well, you know what I know to be to be honest with you, because if, but at the end of the day, it's audio, right? So I don't even know. Does it make that big of a difference? No, not at all. You know, no, daily but I listening keep the brand name. Anyway, so People know it. Yeah. As long as we're doing it every day, which is the plan, that's you know that's where we're going. What if a name change? A name changes, but we are 
either way, I know eventually we're going to get to a point where we are live each and every day. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, it's DEC here, and this is DEC's favorites on the Menafan Show. One of the reasons I really took to liking Kirk Menahan was that he was the closest thing that reminded me to Howard Stern. So I'm an old Howard Stern fan. Growing up, uh, I first liked Imus because Imus was the first thing I could get a hold of. Then I found Stern and realized, oh, my God, this is like something nothing else I've ever heard or listened to. And I was a hardcore Stern fan from about 1993 to 2008, and then I kind of faded away. I found Dennis and Callahan. Then I found Kirk. And... I found that Kirk was like the closest thing. And I, and, and I found that me and other people who liked Kirk were sort of these exiled Stern listeners who no longer liked what Stern was serving up to us. And Blind Mike, on, on one of the episodes that I was doing with him, I, I think I was pulling, I think I pulled some audio for Blind Mike and I was on his episode where we were talking about the Wendy Williams incident where he's using the C word over and over again. And Mike said, you'd really like Radio Gunk. It's kind of like the Minifan show, except for they hate Stern. I found this, I found, I, I loved this show. This was like the polar opposite of what we're doing, which is just hating on Stern, which is what the Minifan show is eventually going to be. Eventually, something's going to happen. We're going to turn on Kirk, and this is just going to be all about hating Kirk. And I invited Monique on. She took, it, she took me up, and we've kind of become friends along the way, uh, hopefully, I'm looking to do something on her show sometime. She came on for like an hour, two hours. We did another episode that was incredibly polarizing where everybody said I was boring as shit. Well, I don't think so, but hey, whatever. You guys you guys like to hate on us. So I'd, I'd rather you hate on us than, than be indifferent. But this is another one of these episodes where we got huge, huge, huge downloads. This is Monique, Radio Gunk, on the Menafan Show. I'm about two two generations removed from the uh, Howard Stern thing. So so people accuse me of copying Minahan's on-air thing, and uh, Minahan is copying uh, Stern's on-air thing, so I am, by that extension, I think that makes me Howard Stern. His, like, kind of like his bastard child. Yes, right. yes. And I don't, I'm not sure what a neophyte is, but it sounds sexual in nature, so I'll, I'll just roll with it. And it's much you are less. a neophyte, and I get it. And I, I would say that your age group, especially like on my, uh, on my forum, I'm always surprised when somebody's on there who's like 26 or 27. It's like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you with us? Why are you here? And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, they, they got stern by default on their radios in their new cars. You know, he's like the McAfee virus of cars. So they get, you know, this, the the uh, Sirius is already put onto there. And all of a sudden, here's Howard. And, you know, it's new and different for some people. It's it's something sort of like you haven't heard before. Yeah. And so for people that are new, it's it might be great. But for us who have been listening for forever, it's like not so much. Yeah, my, my, my exposure to Howard growing up was uh, his, his show on E! on the E! Network uh, and, and waiting for my parents to go to bed so I could sneak down to the TV room and, uh, and, and watch some, some naked chicks with their tits blurred out uh, riding Sibians. That was my, about my extent of my experience with Howard Stern. So I'm excited <laughs> to learn now uh, from, from an expert, a resident expert. In, I uh, shall Stern. tell you all. I, I, I go wait. back all the way to 1993. I picked him up when I was in college. 
outside of New York. I continued on through Sirius. I got really excited, bought my, bought my radio early to get to know Sirius a little bit. And I carried on till about 2009 and then I dropped off. And from time to time, I'll get a trial, I'll listen. And it just feels like a shadow of, of something that was great. Well, it was great. I mean, you know, we have this argument all the time. I, I, he's the luckiest man in radio show business. And, you know, I was listening to a couple of things about how your guy kind of got booted off of his station or decided not to resign or whatever the hell happened. No, it was but, more booted. Yeah, okay, so booted. So uh, the, the funny thing to me, though, about it is that Howard has gotten such... Are we allowed to curse on here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay, fuck. Howard has gotten such a fucking pass on so much egregious stuff that he has done. And so it amazes me. I mean, it really just floors me when when somebody can be told that they can't do certain things because they're what? A sports show? They're a talk show? They're not supposed to be irreverent? It's it's but because yet- they, they've got a station that owns the, 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 they have a Red Sox partnership. That's what it was. So you can't criticize the Red Sox or if you do, you get kicked off the air. I mean, that's, that's basically the, the, the gist of it. <laughs> So, okay, so wait, so tell me, so he decided to, okay, he got booted. Okay, so this is a mutual decision? No, it wasn't, wasn't, really. wasn't necessarily mutual. So so the gist of it, I'll give you the cliff notes. Essentially, yeah. he he was a guy that created controversy because he called Aaron Andrews a gutless bitch in 2014, right? I'm, sure, I'm, I'm okay. not sure if you heard that. But I mean, compared to what Stern has said, again, incredibly mild, tame. incredibly tame. And he called Aaron Andrews a gutless bitch, and that's about it. Other than that, he has called the Red Sox uh, ownership, John Henry and Linda Pizzuti, a bunch of pandering vomits because they changed Yaki Way to Jersey Street because Yaki was, in their view, a racist. And he said that they were pandering vomits in that sense. He's also spoken out against some of the, you know, like giving a four-year-old um, hormone replacement for transgender, I think is what he, he said. He said that he's like, that's, he, he, he said that we should, they shouldn't do that. And an activist basically got his hair across his ass and, and made it his life work to take him down. Uh, the Boston Globe didn't like him and the Globe is owned by the Red Sox. The Red Sox didn't like him as well. So there were basically three forces that said, fuck this guy, get him off the air. And, uh, and, and basically they never allowed him. He took a, he, think about this. He took a break because he was having suicidal thoughts. And then more, he got, more than suicidal thoughts, going to the train station to kill himself. Hiding in the woods, waiting for the train at the spot where it would have maximum velocity <sighs> yeah. so that he could jump out and pull himself back at the last second. And he This he, was after he lost his job though? No, this was before. So oh, this is okay, all okay, before. Good. So in the midst of this, you've got you've you've got, you know, FMLA stuff and you've got uh, you've got suicidal thoughts. He gets institutionalized and then he comes back, he's got a doctor's note saying that he's ready to come back to work and they say, eh, let's pump the brakes until the Red Sox uh, are done with the World Series." And after that, Let's pump the brakes. We, we're not sure if we're ready to come back on the air unless you sign a document about 15 things that you are not going to talk about and you're not allowed to talk about. Now think Ooh, about his it. own red list. I love it. Yeah, but this was this was something as mild as you can't criticize the Boston Globe. You can't criticize the mayor of Boston, right? You can't be, this is what they said. I swear to God, Monique. They said you can't, you be, can't mean be spirited. Mean spirited. <laughs> Imagine Howard Stern signing that shit. So Kirk said, "Go screw," and 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 he's now doing his own thing. So is this is this uh, doing well for him? I noticed he had Stuttering John on the other 
uh, week or so, which I, I found interesting. Um, is this doing well for him? Is this like a viable yeah, monetized doing, well, well, he's, thing? He's still under contract with Entercom and all, and he's doing a podcast. He does a podcast three to four times a week and they're Amazing. paying him the same amount. So it's a great deal for him. They don't want to lose him. Yeah. But so who doesn't want to lose him? I'm, I'm so... Intercom. So they're still paying him a salary to be on this radio.com station, yes. which, yep. oh, I see. Because think about it. So he had a guaranteed contract. So they said, well, listen, we don't want you on the air because we can't trust you. But here, here's this podcast on radio.com. You can go do that. And so he's making the best of it and he's doing, he's kicking ass with it. He's in, you know, he's consistently within inside the top 50 for podcasts in America. So he's consistently kicking ass with it. And eventually he's going to get his own show on radio. Dom is super concerned with him being live because they can't edit him. How long is his contract? I'm not understanding why he can't just say, go fuck yourselves. And he's still a niche business, right? I mean, he's, he's not a syndicated guy, right? I overextended myself putting together my personal favorites for best of episode and realized there's more than one episode here. So what I'm going to do is we're going to put out another episode this week of my personal favorites. And on that one, you're going to hear my thoughts on Paul Chartier, Wiggy, Steve Robinson, and Kirk Menahan, who blessed us with his presence today. He left radio.com. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Catch part two coming up this week of the best of DOC until then a later dinks. I don't know the first goddamn thing about you. Number two, you're a fucking drunk.